All right, our scripture is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but his son, coming from your own body, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Thank the Lord for his word. Fear is old. How old do you think? Just, just about as old as humans. If we look in at what scripture teaches us, then we find in Genesis chapter 3, Adam saying to God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the first time that that word, the Hebrew word for fear, appears in Scripture. Right there in the garden God had created, where He had placed man and woman to rule over the earth. Where does this fear come from? Adam said it was because he was naked. Some of us would be afraid if we were naked. I bet you've had nightmares. I think that's a common human experience. You wake up. It's like we don't know anyone that's ever ever happened to, but we're all afraid of it happening to us. But that's not what it was. That's not the root of the fear for Adam because Adam had always been naked and now he hadn't been afraid before. Uh, Now we could say, well, it didn't happen until God showed up. And then he was like, whoa. I'm naked, so he hid in fear. Um, But God had been showing up, according to Scripture, every evening to walk there. And on this particular evening, when God showed up, he found fear instead of his friend. What a powerful moment. I mean, reflect on that for a minute. What truth that teaches us about ourselves, about our world, about our relationship to God. I find that so often we take those Genesis stories and in our culture that we're so concrete about things and we're so, uh, we just, we read everything through almost uh, encyclopedic lens and we're, we want to know the the science of it. We want to know like, okay, uh, 
how big was the garden and what kind of tree was it and what kind of fruit was it and what kind of serpent was it and how did the serpent get there and what color was the fruit and what, like we ask all these questions that people back then weren't asking was it six days or was it more were they 24 hour days or were they long days and people back then they were trying to communicate something so much more staggering and important about your existence and about your relationship to God and about your meaning and purpose in life. And I mean, you could just take that one verse from that one account, one story, where Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And you could think about that story your whole life long and never get to the, all the depths of it. It teaches us so much. It reveals so much. And so fear is old. Age old. And it's interesting then that the most repeated command through Scripture from God to people is fear not. Do not be afraid. It's translated different ways. Uh, I think the, probably the King James was where the fear not came from. It's a little bit like Yoda, and so new translations say do not be afraid, because it sounds more like the way we talk. But this command not to fear has been around a long time, and we're going to look today at one of the earliest instances where God says to people, fear not. And it's almost like he's trying to counter the, the consequence of what happened in the garden. What happened in that moment after humankind sinned, and time and again he tells us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Because our natural inclination ever since that moment is to be afraid in the presence of holiness. When we consider how right and true God is, it's natural to be afraid. When we try and trick ourselves into thinking that we can be our own gods, then of course we're going to end up being afraid because we can't. We're kidding ourselves. Jesus himself came and addressed this issue with all who would follow him. And with stories like when he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very heads of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So as we memorize that verse through this series, remember the context that God cares even about a sparrow passing away. That doesn't happen apart from his loving attention. And if God cares that much about the sparrows he creates, how much then does he care about you and about me? So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. And we're going to track this 
story through this uh, Christmas and holiday season all the way up to Mary as the angel appears to her and delivers shocking news. We'll look at that on Christmas Sunday, but today we begin a good ways before that. Way back in that same book, Genesis, that deals with the beginnings of God's story. And this is the beginnings of the story of Israel, God's chosen people, that began with one man. One man that God called out and asked to do something different. To leave his home, to leave what he had known, and to set out for a foreign land that he would promise to his descendants. Funny thing was, Abram didn't have any descendants. But God picked him, of all people, to start a nation. In Genesis 15, verse 1, we read, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram, who would later be renamed Abraham, in a vision. It's a transition. What came before this was uh, Lot and his family and his goods being captured by some uh, enemies. This was a very tribal sort of culture. Uh, people, you know, raids were not uncommon. I mean, think, think more like Native American culture, where you just go and raid the enemy and haul off the plunder, the people, whatever. I mean, it's just... It was a very different culture than ours. And this had just happened. Abram goes and rescues Lot and comes back. Uh, it, they have this strange encounter with a, with a guy that's like a foreign king. A couple of foreign king, kings come and one of them is called a priest of God. That's interesting. Uh, historians have puzzled over that for years. Where did a, how did a random king out there in the middle of nowhere become a priest of God? You know, And, and yet Abram gives him a tithe of the plunder they had taken from the people who had plundered them. So this had all just happened, and that's what is being talked about with those words, after this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. What I've read says that, that after this is a common transition. I kind of think that they're changing subjects. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's like the next day, but you know, sometime after this, this new story happened. It may be connected somewhat to the previous one, or it may not be. But here's what happened. The Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. And this word, do not be afraid, is the exact same Hebrew word that showed up in that verse in Genesis 3, where Adam said, I heard you come, and I was afraid. And God comes to him and counters what humans have been experiencing ever since then and says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. 
Now, many of us know, either know personally or know someone who's had the experience, the painful experience of finding out they couldn't have kids or of trying and not being able to have kids. And this is still a painful reality that people deal with in our culture. But our experience with that is different. The, the pain may be the same, but the, our experience, our perspective on it is different because our culture is different. And so in their culture, there was no point in having success in life if you didn't have children. That was really the only success that mattered. I don't know all the reasons why they felt this way. I know some of them. They, uh, the nature of their economy was that kids were your retirement plan. Like You didn't have a 401k. Uh, you hoped that you had kids that could keep the business going and would let you lay there <laughs> until you passed away, right? Once you got to the point where you couldn't work anymore. Uh, they were your security. If something happened to dad, well, thank goodness we've got kids to take care of mom. There's uh, also the fact that, uh, you know, they didn't have the same view of, of eternity that we do exactly. They, they believed in a Sheol, a place of the dead, a dwelling place of the dead. Uh, but in a big way, your legacy that you left was important. And Abraham is listening to God promise him good things and promising him a reward and protection. And he's like, what's the point? What's the point of it all? Because my legacy ends soon. I've got no one to pass it on to. And God says, look up. Look up at the stars. See if you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And somehow Abraham found the faith to believe the Lord. And it says it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith in the midst of those doubts. But God had already told him. He was going to give him kids. And Abraham was still wrestling with doubts. And God reassured him in this moment. And somehow Abraham found enough faith to keep going. To keep trusting. To keep riding on this wild adventure with God. That should be encouraging to us, I think, in our faith. Shouldn't it? Like if you wrestle with doubts sometimes, you're in good company. Because the first person we've got that said... He had a faith that was reckoned to him as righteousness was a man who was in the middle of a struggle with doubt. Even accusing God like, you said you were going to do something, I'm just not seeing it. Maybe a faith that wrestles through doubt comes out all the stronger for it. But I think that it has something to do with what you do with your life. See, there's a, there's a kind of doubt that you can have that paralyzes you. And you say, I don't know if this whole God thing is real, so I'm just going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to live as if he's not real. 
And then there's a kind of faith that wrestles with doubt, but says, you know what, I'm going to live as if God's promises are true. And if, as if this is right. And that kind of faith is not absent of doubt, but your actions are informed by your faith more than your doubt. Abraham did things that were crazy in his culture. To stand up and leave your roots and to travel around to a new land, this was, you know, this was not a time where it was like, hey, everyone's going west, young man. No, this was weird. And yet he did it by faith. He could have turned around and gone back home and said, forget it. God's yet to given me a child. But instead, he stayed the course. It trust. It wasn't a trust without doubts. <laughs> but God, responding to his fear. See, we don't know for sure what, when God said, do not be afraid. Some people think that he, that the scripture was referring to, and God was referring to, a fear that had to do with that last story about Abraham and Lot and the battle and Maybe some kings were going to come after him in revenge, or uh, you know, or maybe he was worried about what God would think of what he did, or who knows, people speculate. Uh, I tend to think that it has to do with what's coming next, and that that after this is a transition. And that Abram's fear was about this childlessness. He was afraid of striving his whole life and following God, and being out there, you know, his whole life lived out on a limb for God, and nothing come of it. He would just pass away, and all of his stuff would go to Eliezer, that guy. I wonder if Eliezer was disappointed when Abraham ended up having kids. <laughs> so close, but so far. And God takes him outside and he says, look up at the stars. This is his response to Abraham's expression of fear that he would end up childless. We went to Arkansas recently and one of my big goals for the week, the weekend of camping, was to show the kids some stars. And so I got Hadley and Peter out there on a blanket staring up at the stars with me. Uh, their attention span wasn't as long as mine, but, but they saw them. And asked him, you know, do you think you could count those? And I think they might have got to ten. People back then, you know, it wasn't that long ago, really, that there were no lights at night. No lights except campfires or lanterns. And people everywhere could walk out on any clear night and see more stars than many people see in their whole lives nowadays. Probably most people, in America at least, see in their whole lives. It's incredible. You, I don't think we can fathom how that affects the way you think about God and how you think about life, that every night... I mean, Abram's living in the middle of nowhere in a tent. And every night he stares up at the stars. Huge. Spectacular. I mean, a Milky Way that's just dusty with stars because there's so many of them you can't distinguish one from the next. 
And God says, look up there. Can you count them? What I want to encourage you with today is that if you deal with a fear for your future, like Abraham did, then hear this word. Fear not for your future. I hold it in my hands. That's what God told Abraham, essentially. It was, fear not for your future. I hold it in my hands. If I can hold all these stars together, if I can call them forth out of nothing, then surely I can hold your future in my hands as well. We fear for our future because it's something out of our control that's coming. We know it's coming, but we have very little control over where it's going to take us, what it's going to do to us. We try to grasp control of it, but we fear what will happen if we can't control it. And so God says to us, look up at the stars. There's only one person, one being in the whole of the universe that could possibly be capable of holding your future in his hands. And he would surely be the one that could hold all the stars in his hands. I struggle personally with fear of the future. I think I always have, as at least since my teenage years, you know, the teenage angst that comes upon us in those glorious years. And you begin, to, for me, I tend to think long-term about things anyways, probably kind of unusually. And so even from that age, I was like, man, I was really stressed about would I figure out what I was going to do with my life, like a career and college and all that stuff. And where was I going to go to college and what degree should I get and what career was I going to have? And uh, it turns out I blew it all. Uh, just, you know, not using my initial degree anymore. Well, maybe I am, in a way. And then after I got to college and graduated out of college and got a job teaching school, so I used it for a couple of years, um, I began to wonder, am I ever going to find a wife? Because I didn't find her at college. Maybe I'll be single forever. What a miserable existence will be mine. I didn't have a very high opinion of single life like uh, Paul had. And maybe I should have and I would have had less stress. Then I got married and then we began to wonder at some point when we decided we wanted to have kids. But it just wasn't happening easily. You know, again to fear, are we not going to be able to have kids? We want to have kids. And what's that going to mean for us? And so many people, I think, deal with that. Of course, then there's always the couples that are just like, whoops. Had another baby, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> After you have kids, then you just thought you were afraid of the future. Before, then you're like, okay, there's so many things could go wrong here. My kids could go off the rails. What if I can't protect them from everything that can harm them? What if I can't provide enough for them to have the same things that their friends have, or whatever the case is? In our jobs, we fear the future. What's going to happen? Is my retirement going to be secure? Am I going to be able to work 
my way up a ladder or have success or am I going to be a failure? And we, we deal with all these fears that we place on ourselves. And what I want to challenge you with today as we consider this statement, fear not for your future, I hold it in my hands, is to not leave those fears unfought. To not just let them rest there in you and bring you anxiety, but to challenge them. I think whenever we feel anxiety about something, and today we're talking about for the future, whenever we feel stress or tension or worry about that, that's, it should be like a warning light on your dash in your car, right? It's time to address something before your car just grinds to a halt in the middle of the interstate. Like, you should deal with it. Check the engine. <laughs> Take it to someone who can, since everything's computers now. Right? Check it out. Deal with it. Address it. Same thing. When you feel fear or anxiety, there's something going on that's not healthy or right. You need to deal with it. Don't let it go unfought. It will paralyze you and take you down paths you don't want to go down. One of the ways that I've tried to fight fear for the future in my own life is to try and recognize the lies or half-truths that I've been buying into. See, I, I tend to think that's where fear starts. Like if you go back to that Genesis 3 story, right? And they're in the garden and the fear comes. If you track that back to where it began, it began with a serpent speaking half-truths. Lies with a, wrapped in bacon or syrup or something. Maybe bacon and syrup. It looked appealing, sounded appealing. It worked its way into their minds and doubt crept in. Can we really trust God? Does He really have our best interest in mind? Is He holding out on us? Maybe we could decide for ourselves what's right and good. And fear entered the world. Through that sin that was born of a lie. A, a, a lie that was planted in fertile ground and grew up into sin. And fear has stalked us ever since. So some of the half-truths that I tend to buy into might be like, I should be able to determine the uh, how my kids grow up and how they should end up living their lives. That, that that's on me. That someday, you know, if they go off the rails, that's my fault. If they're great, that's my job. And so you put this pressure on yourself. It's a half-truth because I do have responsibility for that. To raise them the best that I can. There's, a, you know, the one that, like, I should be able to protect them from all harm. So we wrap them in bubble wrap when you're not looking. <laughs> and try to keep anything bad from happening to them. Again, I'm charged as their dad to try and protect my family the best that I can. But it's not as if I really can do all that much at the end of the day. Or I should be able to provide you know, financial security for my family or security for our church 
even. Like we should be able to be safe for the long run, good to go. You know, things should go up and to the right, and I'm responsible for it with my family or with the church or whatever. I can believe those lies, and it's easy to because they're half-truths, where I do have some responsibility for those things. I do have a part to play, a part to do. But I have to recognize where those cross a line. I have to recognize where those aren't quite true, and I have to try and replace those truths with, lie, with those lies with truth. Don't replace the truths with lies. Go the other way. So, so when I sometimes worry about, you know, I, because here's the deal. I'll see parents that I think, wow, I, those are great parents. And then I watch their kids grow up and just take a total different path than the way they were raised, you know. You were raised better than that. And, and I think, well, it could happen to me. How do I keep that from happening to me? And at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that God's the best father of them all, and he's got a lot of kids that go off the rails. Right? So it could happen to me too. That's just life. I have to let go and trust that God's got it in his hands. That he cares about me and about my kids and about my family much more than he cares about those sparrows that he lovingly attends to. And so... He holds it in his hands. I have to remember that I can't provide security of any kind at the end of the day. I can try. And I can buy life insurance and I can buy disability insurance and I can buy all the other insurances that have insurances for insurances and you can, you can do all that and you can buy guns and you can have alarm systems and you can invest 90% of your income in a Roth IRA. But if the, if the stock market plummets, oh well. <laughs> if someone determined enough decides to break into your house, oh well. Good try. You just can't do it. And so I have to replace it with some kind of truth. And so one of the verses that I've been repeating to myself is Deuteronomy 33.12. There's a lot of other verses like it. It says, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. It's a lot like what God said to Abram, right? Don't be afraid. I am your shield and your great reward. You're worried about kids, but I've got this. I am your shield. I'm your protection. I'm your security for the future. I'm your reward. This blessing that you're seeking. I've got this. Look up at the stars and know you need not fear for your future. I hold it in my hands. And so, when you're tempted to believe that it's all on you or that God doesn't really care or He doesn't really deal in this kind of business, that He's got bigger fish to fry, remember that God says, Look up at the stars. I've got this. The same voice that called out, let there be light, with the kind of power that actually spilled forth light in the heavens and started making stars appear. The same voice speaks, fear not, 
with the kind of power that can actually spill forth into peace and joy in your life where there was anxiety and fear. I'm going to ask our ushers to... uh, You have this note card already. It says, fear not for your future. And if you want to fill it in, the rest is, I hold it in my hands. But I'm going to ask them to pass out another card like it. It says, something I fear about my future is... And then uh, some blanks for you to put down something you fear about your future. And at the bottom it says, today I lay it in God's hands. And I want you to spend a few moments reflecting. What's something that you fear for your future? And don't allow those fears to go unanswered. Spend a few moments thinking about what lie led to this fear. And what truth do I need to replace it with? What truth do I need to think about this week? As I place this in God's hands. And then place your faith in the hands of the only being who could ever possibly hold our futures. His creation is intricately fine-tuned to the point that you and I are able to sit here and have this conversation. That you're able to think at all. Or fear at all. And a being, a power, a mind, a God so great is worthy of our faith. It's the only one that can be trusted with something as unfathomable as our future. If you're here today and you're not sure where you're at with your faith or you've been struggling with doubts, then I want to encourage you that God is the only one capable of holding your future. Will you choose to trust Him? Jesus is the way. Follow him. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask that if you want to leave this in God's hand in a symbolic way that you just fold this up and come down and drop it in this vase and we'll just leave it in God's hands here this morning. Father, we thank you for telling us over and over and over again through the pages of Scripture Fear not. Fear not. God, we often fall lies, victim to lies, and and we fail to trust you as we should. This has been a problem traced all the way back to when we first sinned. So Holy Spirit, give us grace to replace the lies with truth and live with calm assurance that we know the one who holds our futures in his hands and he cares for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.